Welcome to Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live via Giants.com. I'm Paul Dottino. He is Super Bowl champion Jeff Eagles. We'll be with you for the next hour or so talking Giants football. Of course, the NFL schedule release. We will continue our review of Giants draft picks. There's only one more to go. That one out of UCLA. But before we get to that, good morning, Mr. Fiegels. Hey, Mr. Dottino. Happy Friday to you and everybody else. Indeed, it is a happy Friday because yesterday a lot of people were looking forward to that 2020 NFL schedule release. It has been done. Uh, we will get your thoughts on that in just a bit. But right now, Jeff, it's time to cap off our review of the Giants draft picks. And today we'll hear about fourth-round selection Darnay Holmes, a cornerback out of UCLA. He spent the past two seasons under defensive coordinator Jerry Ezenaro, who gave our own Lance Meadow a preview of what we should expect to see from the rookie. Well, I can tell you, uh, you'll get a guy who's, uh, he already has an attitude like a pro player. I mean, he comes to work every single day, so I think you'll enjoy that about him. His skill set will will certainly fit. I don't know what uh, your scheme is on defense, but I think his skill set you know, can fit a lot of schemes. He, he also would bring some uh, added dimension because of his special teams abilities. He can cover kicks. He can catch kickoffs. Um, he just bring, he brings pretty good work ethic, too. Jerry, I think we're expecting uh, new defensive coordinator Patrick Graham to run a lot of press man. And from what I could tell from the clips that I've seen, that's a lot of what he did for you. So I think that style of play is going to be awfully well suited to him. Yeah, you know, we it'll fit his skill set and uh, as much as fit his physical skill set um, when you play press man mentally you've got to be able to rebound on a down in and down out basis and you know he, he was our most talented guy on defense so I had to leave him out there by himself against some pretty good west coast receivers and, and include some guys at Oklahoma and uh, he doesn't budge you know, he doesn't budge well, Coach, speaking of his work ethic and his attitude, as you just mentioned, he's listed at 5'10", and a lot of people bring up perhaps the lack of size and how that may impact him on the next level. What's your take on that, and were there times where you felt he actually played much bigger than he actually appears to be? Yeah, he's got really good short area quickness, and he's he's got enough strength to hang with those tall receivers. And because of his, uh, his long speed, um, you know, he, he makes up for it with reach. You worry about short guys that don't have long speed. You know, he's got long speed. He's got short area quickness. And if, if his only weakness is, you know, that he was born uh, under 5'11", well, you know, God bless him. He'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, executive director of the Senior Bowl, Jim Nagy, had told us, Coach, that originally Holmes was not going to be invited to this year's game, but that a bunch of NFL teams said, well, hold on a second. Did you see Holmes' tape in 2018? This guy's legit. You've got to get him to the game. So then they invited him, and apparently he moved into the nickel as the slot guy during the course of the week and just wowed people to the point where the Giants wound up taking him in the fourth round. What was the biggest difference in your mind from his game in 18 compared to 19? And does it surprise you that the pro scouts seem to be looking at him now as a a slot corner once he gets to the NFL? Yeah, I mean, you know, in the NFL with the ball in the middle of the field all the time, you know, that it really makes up, uh, you know, for a guy like him to be able to play the slot in, in college football balls on the hash so that guy that's playing out to the field is really out there by himself and like I said we had no choice we had to put him out there by himself all the time so um, his fit, he's physical enough to be a slot corner and his football IQ is tremendous so he can be a you know a two position or a three position guy and like I said he'll be able to play on fourth down for you too. Coach, as Paul mentioned, when they were evaluating him for the Senior Bowl, the emphasis was more on the 2018 tape than the 2019 tape, and he did miss the first two games of this past season with an ankle injury. I'm just curious, your perspective, how much at all did that ankle injury, you think, impact him production-wise from 18 versus 19? Yeah, you know, I I don't know about um, pure production, but but I think what happens when you get a guy like Darnay who – who is such a great practice player that sometimes those those practice reps that he missed um, 
you know, really affect him. And, and as the season wore on, I thought he played as good in 19 as he did in 18. But uh, sometimes if you watch the initial film, you might think that. But it, it's not like you're looking at, you know, a big gap. When you talk about his mentality, Coach, one of the things that, that we had a bunch of draft people tell us when we were talking about him in conversation is that he will make a lot of big plays. He'll make some splash plays, spectacular plays that will light up the highlight films, but sometimes the inconsistency will get in his way. Is that something that, that he should be able to smooth out as he gains more experience and, and comes into the NFL? Yeah, you know, again... I. I, I didn't witness much of that, to be honest with you. I, I, I thought he was um, a, as consistent a guy that I've been around playing that position. Now, you know, you're also looking, you know, you're looking at a league where, uh, you know, he's going to get some real receivers and some real quarterbacks. And also, uh, you know, we're, we're pretty fast on offense. So he's also playing, you know, 80, 90 snaps a game. You know, I, I, you, you got to kind of take everything in context, you know, and uh, like I said, I did not see that. We're talking with UCLA defensive coordinator Jerry Azanero as the Giants selected Darnay Holmes out of UCLA in the fourth round. And coach, when we had an opportunity to chat with Darnay, the one thing he said he took pride in was the fact that he graduated early. It took him only three years to get his degree in African-American studies. You know him on and off the field. What is it about him, his intellect, that enabled him to get that degree done early, and how much do you think that translates to the field? Well, I mean, intelligence, um, when you're talking about a guy that went to school at UCLA and completed his degree in three years and really took his studies very seriously, I mean, it just lets you know that he can stay on task. If you take anything else from these guys that graduated early is that they could stay on task. And I think as you move through the, the NFL and you look for success over long term, uh, most of the teams that have great success probably have the highest graduation rate of their players. So that's what you're getting with that guy. There's one other thing that I thought was interesting, Coach, when we had a chance to talk to him at the Combine, because I did get a few minutes with him. He said that a lot of his toughness came from his background because he grew up in some very tough neighborhoods of Los Angeles. And then, obviously, his, his father and his brother both played in the National Football League. I know you had some, some coaching time in the National Football League. All of this seems to have really been a motivating factor that drives him to, to play as hard as he does. Is that something that you've noticed, that you've seen? How, how effective do you think that was in making him the kind of guy that he is? Well, I, you know, obviously, uh, I've been around his dad a bunch, and his dad is just... Uh, a really good man, a really good teacher. But the, the thing about Darnay on and off the field is consistency. You know, you're not going to get – those guys that really puzzle you are those high-low guys. You know, one day they're this way, one day they're that way. You're not going to have to worry about that with Darnay. He, he's going to be the same guy every single day, probably for the next, you know, eight to ten years that he's in the league. He'll be the same guy every single day. Well, and related to that in terms of consistency, Coach, as Paul referenced, you coached in the NFC East. You were with the Eagles under Chip Kelly for a few seasons. So you, know, you understand the grind of the NFC East and how it's very difficult to duplicate success. What do you think of his fit within the division, knowing how tough these rivalries are? Well, the, the, stage, is, the stage is not going to be too big for him. I can, I can guarantee you that. You know, he's... he's been in some big time games he's been in a lot of big time stadiums and you know he's uh he's been the guy since he was uh, a, a young young man so uh, i don't think it's going to be too big for him at all coach you mentioned special teams before and i and i know he's been an outstanding kick returner and i, I would suspect he'll be very good in coverage as well because he does hit but but i'm curious how quickly do you think he can compete for the slot job at the NFL level? Is he going to need time to acclimate himself, to, to kind of get into a spot where he could potentially win that job? Or is he coming out of the box with a real shot to do it? Yeah, you know, I I, I don't know that. I'm, I'm sure I'm sure Patrick's got a, you know, a great plan for him. Um, you know, and, and the way they, the way they've used their, their nickel slot defender in the past, um, there won't be any skills that they ask of him 
that he hasn't already done. So um, it, it's not going to be a lot of new learning, obviously, the terminology and those kinds of things. But uh, he's already done all of those skills that Patrick is going to want him to do. So um, it'll be interesting to see how fast. Well, and speaking of his skill set, as you referenced off the top, he also was a dynamic special teams player at UCLA, returned two for scores. What is it about his special teams maneuverability, his skill set there, that enables him to be such a game changer in your estimation? Uh, he's fearless. That, that, that's with, with those guys, you'll you know you, you'll see some of those guys that you think they have great skill sets, they can they can run, they have really good long speed, they have good vision, but uh, you know all of a sudden when the lights turn on and those guys are running down the field at you 100 miles an hour, it be becomes a matter of are you fearless or not and he's he's fearless coach from a football acumen perspective i know we've discussed how he's a very intelligent player but in terms of this virtual learning that the nfl rookies are going to have to go through now over the next couple of months how much do you think he will be able to quickly adapt to that and be able to absorb what he needs to absorb or or is this something that uh, you know is going to is going to be a hindrance i know a lot of rookies are going to have trouble as they try to make this jump because of the virtual learning will it be for him no i don't think so at all i think uh, you know one of the things that the, the giants really got a great understanding about is he graduated from UCLA in three years, so minimally he knows how to sit down in front of a computer and work for two, three, four hours at a time, where for a lot of young guys, that's very hard for them. And his ability to stay on task over long periods of time, will it, it, it might give him an even bigger advantage because of what's going on from a virtual learning standpoint. Well, I think you bring up a great point, Coach, in terms of the mental adjustment, given what he's gone through. But from a physical standpoint, if we take out our crystal balls and make the assumption that there's going to be very limited on-field work, which I'm sure you and your colleagues are experiencing right now, how challenging is that going to be? Not just for Darnay Holmes, but most rookies, as they may be thrown right into the season without much on-field work. Yeah, you know, sometimes, sometimes it might be a benefit, you know, where you, because you, you, you don't get you don't get things confused, you know. So uh, uh, obviously, some guys are going to really simplify their packages, and I think for young guys, it allows them to retrieve their skill sets a little bit quicker. Now, we know with motor learning that he needs repetition. There's no doubt about that. But his ability to retrieve and store information um, is, is really probably one of his strongest assets. Coach, before we came on the air, uh, you, you mentioned that uh, you're from Brooklyn, a big-time Giants fan. I'm curious, how much uh, research did the Giants do with you as they were scouting uh, Darnay? And now that uh, he's landed with the Big Blue, how excited are you personally to see one of your, your products uh, wind up with uh, the Giants' helmet on? Well, the, the Giants do a great job. You know, I mean, uh, the first time I met Dave Gettleman, I was at a... I was at a Division II school called American International College, and he, he was uh, researching one of our defensive linemen, a young man from Staten Island named Gabe Makwa, and you would have thought that uh, Gabe Makwa was going to be a first-round pick the way, the way Dave uh, attacked him and researched him. So uh, you don't have to worry about those guys doing their homework. They're going to do their homework. Um, and and my, my nephew... Uh, who's a New Jersey resident, love the Giants. Um, he's really excited about the pick. Coach, last one for me. Not only have you crossed paths with Holmes, but interestingly, the Giants in the fifth round took Shane Lemieux, offensive lineman out of Oregon, and it appears when you were at Cal, the D-line coach in 2017, you had to play against that offensive line in Oregon, and then you played them when you were with UCLA in 2018. I'm also curious your perspective from strategizing against Oregon and Shane Lemieux, what you saw out of him, and what do you think about him making the jump from that Ducks offensive line to the pros? Yeah, he's a, he's a versatile performer, which, you know, uh, with those inside guys, you, you, you like where you get a guy that can be a center, can be a guard, and, and that you know knows how to play the game. He certainly knows how to play the game, and he's, he's blocked some big boys. You know, if you watch the Auburn game from last year, I mean, he, he knows how to block people. Nothing's going to surprise him in that league. And we thank UCLA defensive coordinator Jerry Ezenaro for his time. Some great insight 
into the corner. Darnay Holmes, who comes to the Giants uh, clearly mentally prepared. Now, whether or not he'll be able to match up as he moves position into the slot, Jeff, remains to be seen. Yeah, well, I think that, that, you know, when you talk about his skill set, as he mentions a lot, um, his skill set is at the pro level is going to be the slot corner. Um, 5'11", okay, you know, you talked a little bit about that. It's not the tallest you – um, you're going to be on the team, but I mean, it's, it is a point where he can play that position in the pros. I think that uh, Jerry um, makes a really good point, and when when we do college games, we understand this too, Paul. When we're when we're calling them, is that that you have those boundary corners and you have those field corners. Um, that's a big field <laughs> in college football. It sure when is when you're out there, and and that shows me at least that. This guy can play a lot of areas. He can cover a lot of ground. Um, he's got long speed, which I love that term. Um, but, yeah, for a slot corner, I think that's kind of where the Giants are going to peg him. And, you know, really, Paul, when I'm when we're doing these interviews and we hear the, what's coming out of these coaches' mouths, it all has a theme. I mean, these draft picks all have a theme. Their versatility, um, their ability to play other positions and their acumen. I think all of these guys are just very smart dudes. And so that just goes to show you kind of what Joe Judge and his staff and the personnel department are going after. And they went and did a good job at this. I mean, this guy is – listen, I we all have kids, at least I do, and I know you have, in college. Um, three years graduated, and that's a, that's, that's a really hard thing to do. At a big school. At a big school. And here's the other thing that he that he – when he said that – you know, he's able to focus for three or four hours behind a computer. <laughs> I know that, you know, I have four boys and trying to get them to focus for four seconds is, is impossible. But this is kind of, it's really good to see. And I think that, you know, you had mentioned um, about this virtual learning. And there are going to be some guys that struggle with it. But I think Darnay is going to be one of them that just, it doesn't bother him. Well, you know, one of the other words that I think is very common throughout the Giants draft and even some of the undrafted rookie free agents they've brought in is toughness. And I know it's easy to say every football player has to be tough, but we're hearing that these guys are not only physically tough, but we're hearing a lot about their mental toughness. And Jeff, you were around the league a long time to know that not every football player is mentally as tough as he needs to be to excel. No, they're not. And there are some guys that get better at it. Um, they come into the league and they are not mentally tough, but um, they learn. They learn from their coaches. They learn just about it. adaptation. They, they adapt to what's going on. Um, and then there's some guys that just can't, they just can't handle it. They have all the ability in the world, but their mental focus and their mental game is tough. They can't, they can't handle it. Uh, Darnay is a guy that I, I feel um, just like everyone else, that he's going to be fine because, you know, when you are that guy that's covering in college out there in space, in that big field, um, you have to live for another day, right? If you, make a, if you give up a big play and um, you don't make a play here or there, it's, if you have to have that mental fortitude to go out there and say, you know what, I'm going to let that one go. And we all know that that's tough for people to do, especially at the cornerback position. Uh, you got to let it go. It's, you're going to go on to the next play. And, of course, we got a bonus comment out of uh, Jerry Azanaro, again, the UCLA defensive coordinator who just joined us, telling us some pretty good things about Shane Lemieux, the offensive mm-hmm. lineman from Oregon, who is expected to compete for the setter job. And I like when I hear those things, Jeff, because clearly you know, UCLA's defensive coordinator has no interest in promoting someone from another program. So when he says to you, this guy's a load, and he was an issue, and, you know, we, ha- we had problems with him, and-, and he was someone you had to deal with. Yeah. That's a good thing. Well, it's a good thing because Jerry's a Giants fan, so he wants, to- he wants this kid to do good now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, but I also, you know, uh, it's a great comment, and he's obviously has scouted against him, uh, played against him, and, and that's going to be really good. The other thing about Darnay, and we, we forgot to touch on this, in fact, I think that um, this guy will be able, and I love the term that he used, that he'll be able to play on fourth down. Um, he'll also be able to play on the start of the games and start of the second half of the games um, as a kick returner because uh, this guy is really good in special teams. He has a knack for it. Like you had mentioned, he can tackle, so that's a good thing. Um, and I feel like just as any rookie that's going to be asked when you come in to play special teams, if you have some sort of uh, history with it, 
it's only going to be better for you to be on that field because really you don't want to be sitting on the sideline as a rookie. You want to be playing, and you got to do something to get in the game. And if it's nickel corner on a selected basis or special teams, then there you go. It looks like Darnay Holmes is going to be that guy. Well, one thing for sure, Holmes is coming here with an understanding after playing at UCLA that uh, the spotlight is not going to be too hot for him. I mean, if you've yeah. played at UCLA in, in the heart of California, a big program like that where mm-hmm. the lights are always on, sure. New York City is not going to be an adjustment for him. It's not. It's not. Um, you know, one thing about all those players out on the West Coast, ball, we don't get to watch a lot of them. We don't get to see many of them unless you're a night owl, um, you know, watching Saturday Night Football. Um, so a lot of these people, you know, the, the guys, we don't really know them that well, and the fans don't know them. So it'll be interesting to – to see how the fans react to him and how he plays, but uh, certainly he's not—you know—he's not, you know, not going to be what did uh, Jerry say? He's not going. The stage is not going to be too big for exactly. him. Exactly. Yeah. So that's that's a good thing. And you know, uh, I think a lot of times organizations have to worry about that. Um, not not out of this guy, but you know, if they're going to go draft somebody from a smaller school, you know, how will that stage affect them? Um, because you know you're going to get into some big time football games when you're at the pro level. And if, um, you know, a lot of these FCS schools, that, that's kind of sometimes the knack on them, right? It's like, okay, or the knock, excuse me, is just like, oh, you know what? Is he going to be okay playing in big-time games? Mm-hmm. You know? so. Final thought on him. How much do you think he has in terms of percentage chance of winning that starting slot job? We do know there's competition there. The mm-hmm. Giants are hoping that Grant Haley has a bounce-back season so that he can compete for it. Do you think Holmes is going to be the guy week one, or do you think it'll take him some time to wrestle it away from somebody else? What I like about Darnay Holmes is he was a three-year starter, um, and he played at a high level, okay? Um, I think that he's going to, and he's smart. He's smart. He understands uh, the game. I feel like he will be the opening day starter at that position. Okay, fair enough. We know there was big news yesterday as the NFL released its 2020 schedule. Now, Commissioner Roger Goodell also released a statement in addition to the schedule saying that the league is going to remain flexible in these uncertain times because of the pandemic. NFL.com quoting him saying that we will be prepared to make adjustments as necessary as we have during this offseason in uh, safely and efficiently conducting key activities such as free agency, the virtual draft offseason program, and the 2020 draft. So that's the way it is right now. So I guess put a little asterisk next to your entire schedule, and it's basically a flex schedule, kind of like what we've seen with Sunday Night Football Mm -hmm. for the last several years. So assuming, though, assuming that this is the one that's in place, and I think that's the only way we can have a conversation because we just don't know about the fluidity. Assuming that this is the one in place, uh, how happy are you, like many other fans who have contacted us on Twitter, that the Giants would not be scheduled to open the season against the Dallas Cowboys? <laughs> I, I, I'm happy about it because I'm tired of it, right? I mean, it's just like, okay. Um, and the Pittsburgh then, Steelers know, suit you then. They, they do, but, you know, it's, it's a pretty, uh, pretty good matchup for Joe Judge being on. Uh, it's an ESPN game, primetime, first-time head coach coming up against uh, a good team in Pittsburgh. Now, will Ben Roethlisberger be back for that game? Um, you kind of hope so. Or for, for from a pan, fan's perspective, if you're a Steelers fan, from a Giants perspective, now we hope he's still, you know, he can play the next week. Um, but you will see what happens there. It's a Monday night game, so uh, the Giants players will get their, 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 uh, their share of pro football on that weekend. And um, it's very interesting because – you know, this is all fluid. It's all fluid, Paul. Um, there's a lot of decisions to be made here. Um, contingency plans, as you as you said, they got to have them. Everybody has to have them at this point. So it's not a shocker that Roger Goodell came out with that comment. You just got to know how severe those contingent plans are. Um, and then there's also something we have to talk about too, where this probably includes the contingency plans with one of when the NFL is the college football season. I mean, we haven't heard anything about the college football season and what's going to happen there. And they they've mentioned a little bit about scheduling possibly Saturday games if the NFL season or the college season doesn't happen. So that's another contingency plan that that this will have to work out. I mean, how many of these games the Giants go to Saturdays? You know, so a lot of stuff to think about. But the bottom line is when you look at this schedule, um, 
you know, I, 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 the Giants, uh, they get San Francisco at home, which I think is a good thing. They don't have to travel all the way across. But you know what? The next week they got to go to Los Angeles. <laughs> it, it would have been really good if the, if the NFL could have said, yeah, hey, why don't you play San Francisco and Los Angeles back-to-back weeks, and they could have just stayed out there. Um, you know, I don't know how Joe Judge – but, you know, isn't Bill Belichick a guy that would do that? Paul, he, well, yes, and and that brings me, I guess, to to a point or a side note here. Uh, the Giants, uh, Dan Salomon, Giants dot com staff writer, uh, writing about uh, the schedule, has some quotes here from Joe Judge, and he makes a great point. Since Tom Coughlin took over in twenty oh four, the Giants have traditionally traveled to the West Coast the day prior to a game. Now, I can remember yeah. uh, Dan Reeves would always go out two days before the West Coast game. In other words, Friday for a Sunday game. Well, Fossil, too. Okay, Fossil was the same way. Now, uh, according to what Joe Judge told Giants.com, he says, quote, I'd say for the most part, historically, we've gone out on Fridays and given them an extra day to get out there and get acclimated to a few things, but that's nothing that's locked in concrete. We'll talk as a coaching staff and make sure we hammer what we think is best for this team. Mm Mm-hmm. So at this point, we really don't know. Now, he says, to be honest with you, we'll have a game plan to go out there early and be prepared to cancel the extra day if we need to as we get a feel for how our team goes throughout the season. So uh, that is fluid as well. The Giants have two West Coast trips. According to the schedule that was released on October 4th, they would be at the L.A. Rams in what is supposed to be the Rams' new stadium. And then the other game would be at uh, Seattle on December 6th to play the Seahawks, a team that uh, you once played for, Mr. Fiegels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, i I surprised you didn't ask, ask me this question, but I'm going to ask myself this question. Go answer. ahead. You know, how, how did you feel about traveling on Fridays and Saturdays? Because I've done them both. Um, it is much more difficult. Um, I didn't mind going to East Coast to west coast on a saturday that didn't bother me um because it's just it's you know the time change is not a big deal the next day because you with the only problem you have is on saturday night if you're staying on the west coast um you end up going to bed a little bit earlier right because you're three hours ahead Mm -hmm. um and what happens is when you get there your meeting times are not adjusted so what a team meeting let's say it's 7 30 at night on the West Coast is now 10:30 at night, um, so you just get a little bit tired. Um, I did not like coming when I was with the Cardinals and when I played with Seattle, coming to the East Coast on a Saturday because now it's a reversal. <laughs> now you can't get to bed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it's 8:30 at night on you in on the East Coast and it's 5:30 your time. Well, let's fast forward. It's 11:30 East Coast. It's only 8:30 now. So, you know what I'm saying? And before you know it, you're playing at 10 o'clock. Your body's not used to it. So, I would have liked to um, come out on a Friday going to the East Coast, and I wouldn't mind going to the West Coast on a Saturday. That didn't bother me. Well, historically, they have always said mediocre teams or less than competitive teams that are coming from the West Coast to the East mm-hmm. usually have extremely difficult times uh, right. come that Sunday game day. Yeah, because you're uh, playing at 10 o'clock. Yeah. Now, the, the but the real good teams are still the real good teams no matter what time they play. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> and, and, you know, you talked we talked a little bit about um, mental toughness uh, mm-hmm. when we were talking about Darnay. Um, that's the type. That that's the thing that you have to understand that coaches preach all the time is the mental toughness. I mean, listen, you got to go out and play, right? So it's easier said than done. Uh, the guys that are coming from the West Coast and going to go play on the East Coast and it's a 10 o'clock kickoff, you might think that that's easy. It's not. It's not easy at all because guys have their routines and their bodies clocks are different. There's where your mental toughness comes in. When you show up or you get on that bus to go to the stadium in the morning, and you're still sleepy. You got to get your butt up. You got to get your mind right because <laughs> mm-hmm. you got to go play a game. Um, and by the way, those guys are going to hit just as hard. And you got if you're not awake, it's you're, you're going to get woken up sooner or later after that whistle blows. <laughs> I got you, know? you. Yeah. Some other interesting thoughts about the schedule, just briefly, because there were some marquee games that I'm sure a lot of people were very curious about. And quite honestly, one of my big curiosities was how would the NFL deal with Odell Beckham Jr. and the Browns coming back to MetLife Stadium to play the Giants? 
And as it turns out, as of the tentative schedule that has been released, they don't care. They don't get a <laughs> primetime game. Yeah. Uh, on December the 20th, it's a 1 o'clock start with the Browns playing at MetLife against the Giants. Now, of course, that could be flexed out into a Sunday night NBC game. That night, the uh, Niners are scheduled to play at Dallas. Uh, it remains to be seen if they would want to move that game out or not. But right now, uh, for some reason, that game did not get a primetime ticket. And I have to say, Jeff, I am surprised. However, the Tom Brady Buccaneers visit from the Giants uh, or to the Giants did get a primetime ticket on November the 2nd. Uh, that would be a Monday night football telecast for Tom Brady. Yeah, that's a big one. Um, you kind of had a I'm, – I'm, I'm not as – I'm – Listen, I would have been really surprised if there was not a Tampa Bay primetime game. I would have been really surprised. I'm not all that surprised about the Cleveland one, and I'm really not disappointed either. I could care less. I really could. Um, it's just, just me. I told you that a couple weeks ago when we were talking about this. Um, big deal. They might have put it at the end of the schedule because they think that both teams are not going to be good. Who knows? <laughs> Okay. Uh, And then the other thing to note is that uh, as the schedule stands today, the Giants with their September 14th Monday night opener at home against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, They also wind up with the uh, Monday night game, as we said, against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and a Thursday night game at Philadelphia on October the 22nd. So two Monday night games and one Thursday night game. Those are your off Sunday uh, scheduled uh, contests for the Giants. They have three of them. And of course, there's always the flex that could move one of your Sunday night uh, Sunday games to Sunday night. You have to make sure that you, you say that because we all know that NBC has a lot of flexibility in making those moves. The Giants schedule finally ending um, on January 3rd at home, 1 o'clock, against uh, the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, any yeah, other thoughts before we move yeah, on from the schedule? Yeah, real quickly, um, the, the other one I always look at when I was when I was playing, I'd look at the schedule a couple of days. <laughs> this is very selfish of me. Uh, the first thing I would look at well, is... We expect that from you. <laughs> uh, in November and December, where we were playing, and I was hopeful that they were going to be any of the Dome teams that we were playing, that they were in those months. <laughs> well, you're a kicker. Come on. That's I would correct. expect that. Um, the other one was, and this is a big one as you get older, is your bye week. When did the bye week hit? Yes. Um, this is week 11 for the Giants, which I don't like. November um, 22nd, by the way. I think it's really late um, by the time you put the... Four preseason games in there, training camp, and then you've got ten weeks of the regular season under a normal schedule. Under a normal schedule, which we um, don't know what we're going to see, but right. okay. But we're in some normalcy here because nobody has mentioned that nothing is happening. So right. I'm just saying that if it if it stays this way and it's week eleven, I I wouldn't want it. Mm-hmm. I like my I'd like the buy to be right around the middle of October to the third week. Yes, that to me is a perfect time because you split the whole. You got twenty games. Um, you know, and I, even though maybe some of the guys don't play in some of those preseason games, they're still practice, training camp games are still grueling stuff. Um, mm-hmm. You want to give your body a little bit of break halfway through the season. The other one is, and remember, this team has a lot of rookies. Uh, they call the we call it the you know the rookie wall. These guys come in and they're normally playing 11, 12 games in a season, um, and right around. With the four preseason games, and then you add eight games into that. Halfway through the NFL season, they're they're in uncharted waters. Right. They're like, we have how many more games left? Eight more? Oh my god! <laughs> where's my bowl bag? Where, you know, where's all my stuff that I get from the bowl game? I, you know what I'm saying? Right. So that's a that's a tough one. And in week eleven, they're really struggling because they're sitting there going. Man, this NFL stuff is long. <laughs> the only good thing is that to get a paycheck. That's good. Well, I don't think you'd like this schedule at all because in referring to domed games, guess what? There are none. <laughs> the Giants' only domed game in Arizona would, would be at well, I no, was going, no, it's, it, no, 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 at home. No, no, yeah. the only domed Dallas. game would be Dallas. Yeah, and it's the last. That's game it. Of the season. Oh wow. no, no, no! It, it the the game in oh, Dallas is October 11th. That's right. I, I, I'm seeing the. 
Okay. So October 11th. So 15 of the 16 games are going to be outdoors, which is a punter and kicker's nightmare. I'll have to talk to Aldrick and uh, and Riley (laughs) see how they how they're taking this because I'm sure they look at the same thing. Trust me. Yeah. Now the good news is at least the NFL is trying to proceed as normal as they possibly can because uh, it just came out the other day that the CFL and Commissioner Randy Ambrosi, I believe is how he pronounces his name said the most likely scenario is that they're going to cancel the CFL season because of the pandemic. Now, you have to remember something about the CFL season. Uh, They had already canceled the start of their training camps. They were supposed to open this month, and those are already gone. They pushed back the opening of the regular season to early July, you know, because they're used to playing a different schedule than when we play here in the States and with the NFL. They start earlier, which meant they had less time for people and society to start opening up and recovering from the virus. So bad news for for the CFL folks. It it does not look like they're going to have a season. But, again, I stress they are under a totally different schedule Mm -hmm. under normal circumstances than the NFL is. So it really is like comparing apples to oranges. It's a different deal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's all timing. You know, it's all timing. Um, Unfortunately, they always start – Unfortunately, they start too early. Um, the Giants are, the Giants and the NFL are kind of skating along because they have a little bit more time. Exactly. As we move towards this, and we hope that all of this gets better sooner than later. Um, but you know, in that sense, it it'll and maybe some things. They, it, that's a tough one. It's a, it's really a tough thing. But you know, and and the NFL or excuse me, the CFL season isn't as long either, Paul. Right? I mean, it's, they don't have as many games, so they don't have as many teams. As many teams, yeah. So that's that's a, that's a tough one. It really is. All, All right. of this is tough. Another news item that I want to get your take on. Big news day. Michigan news day. coach Jim Harbaugh says he'd like to see NCAA football players have the ability to enter the NFL draft whenever they want to. And he also wants players who don't get picked in the draft to be allowed to finish their eligibility at the NCAA level. Go back to school, and if you have a year left because you came out a year early, you can go back and finish. So says Jim Harbaugh. Now, he is trying to push this forward and try to get some support to see if if somehow, some way, he can get some movement on this. As you know, current NFL rules say that a player has to be at least three years removed from high school before he throws his name into the NFL draft bin. And once a player declares that he's going to be in the NFL draft, it doesn't matter how much NCAA eligibility he has remaining, they will not allow him to go back and play in college. Your thoughts? Well, there's a lot of thoughts here. There's so much to talk about when you talk about this. Um, well, first of all, on the latter of the two, I believe that there's what is the damage behind um, other than maybe if they go to the combine and they test and they don't get drafted, then, you know, where are they? I mean, I feel like they should be able to go back to school, right? I mean, there's there's, a, there's enough time. The draft happens in April. Um, it's still in the spring semester of that of that kid's uh, whatever year he is, junior year. Um, let him go back to school. Let him finish. Isn't this what all the NCAA student athletes all about? Trying to get them to finish school. Um, and the, the 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 first part of it, I think, is really difficult because I don't really know how many kids coming out of high school would be able to take the nfl i really don't um their maturation they need that type of time to mature physically mentally and emotionally all three of them all three of them the trifecta right there um so maybe you bump it back one more year paul and then put in the phrase there where they can go back to school if they don't get drafted as a sophomore so there's a lot of talk about that i see some good i see some bad to it um but i understand where john uh, Harbaugh is coming from. Um, you just, you know, it's. I just think give the guys a chance if they don't get drafted. Um, and I think what you would do to to combat this, Paul, would to be. And I know that the NCAA has this. Each school has like a council that they talk to the players about. You know, the hey, listen, we've talked to our people. We feel like you're you're going to get drafted in this round if you come out. And some players say, oh, well, I don't want to do that. I'm going to stay in school. Well, maybe they 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 heighten that type of committee. So they get a little bit more involved at the pro level. That the pro level guys can come in. I don't. Know, I don't even know how it works, but you know, get 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 as much information as you can to these young men to tell them, 
Um, this is what we think you're going to do. And I know that they do this now, but I think they got to have a chance to go back to school. I really do. Because if they don't get drafted, um, you know, their chances of making the team are very slim. They really are. So. Well, well, now, remember, years ago, and, and this probably even predates you, Jeff, uh, the league did not allow underclassmen to come into the league. No. And then and then Herschel Walker uh, made a deal with the USFL because the USFL was a new league back in 83. They anyone. wanted to get some publicity, and they said, okay, we're going to waive our rule because their rule was like the NFL's rule. You could not allow underclassmen to sign a pro deal, and the USFL made an exception and allowed Walker coming out after his junior season to sign a deal with the Generals for just a huge amount of money because they felt they needed to pop. And and it was subsequent to that that the NFL finally allowed uh, the new three years after your high school uh, class graduates, which opened it up for uh, you know players to come out a year early. And that was only because of the pressure that was exuded by the Herschel Walker sign. Well, yeah, because they, they, the NFL said, "Well, now we got all these guys, these good players that are going to go to the USFL if we don't if we don't recreate this rule." So and that's what happened, you know. And was there, in your mind, was there a lot of angst about that? Um, I, I would imagine so, because I think the biggest angst is the big players, you know, the, the big guys. They don't want them going to another league when uh, the NFL is sitting there waiting for them to come to their league. So, yeah, I think there was. All right, let's go to uh, Twitter, because after all, when you guys hit us up at hashtag Giants Chat, uh, you'd like to get some answers. We're here to try to provide them for you. You can always hit him up uh, also at Jay Fiegels or me at Giants WFAN. You guys can also go to the Giants.com website if you choose and uh, get us through the Giants mailbag. We also try to do everything we can to answer those questions as well. Uh, Beamer at Beamer 60 says, with the new CBA and expanded rosters, Will the Giants still need to waive a player first before he can be assigned to the practice squad? I'd like our seventh-round picks uh, to stick around and would hate to see them go that route, and I would love to see them stay with the Giants. Well, there's a new rule in place, Jeff. Let me take this first, and then I'll I'll ask you for your opinion. Uh, As you know, the the practice squads um, have their their 10-man rosters. And what they're going to do now is allow you to go to 12 for the practice squad. And instead of having 53 people on your roster every week, you're going to be allowed to float two of those practice squad players onto your 53, thereby actually giving you a 55-man roster. And those players that float will be allowed to go freely without having to be exposed to waivers or making any kind of special transactions. Uh, I think that is an outstanding move. I like it very, very much. I still wish they would put in some type of concussion protocol rule where a concussed player, as determined by an independent neurologist, would not count against your roster and would allow you to make a free move. That's another story entirely, and I'd like to see them take that added step. But this one, as it stands this year, is one that I like a lot. Well, I think that I think what you're going to see down the line, I mean, the concussion thing is just so new um, and everything that we're finding out about it, Paul. It's a great point, and I think that eventually one day that may happen. Um, they can always add to it, right, as long as the union agrees to it. Um, so maybe in the next few years that, that could happen. Um, I do agree with you as far as protecting those two guys that are floating. Um, it doesn't have to be – it can be any two guys, right? So you just want to have the flexibility because of what you just mentioned. you got a cornerback that got a concussion the week before. You need to bring up one of your corners from the safe, the uh, practice squad, but you're, you're, you know, you're afraid that when you put him back down, somebody's going to get claimed. Um, and so that gives you the, the flexibility of doing that. I think that's a good thing. I would have liked to see it more than two, um, but I, I'll take two. Okay, we have helmet catch pod – very strange name, but okay, we'll take it. He says he's not predicting the Giants' record. It's May. Good. With with exclamation points behind it. Says, uh, besides the fact the season might start on, on schedule once again, it's May. Of course, understanding there could be some fluidity to it. He says, let's see the final rosters and get through the preseason healthy first. Well, this sounds like a, uh, a very smart and logic-based individual. 
Are you sure that you're not helmet catch? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Uh, Raw Uncut New York Talk says, the only thing about the Giants releasing their schedule that I care about is when is the bye week? I don't like it being too early. Mr. Fiegels, are you sure you're not this guy? He says, besides having it right in the middle, week 11 is perfect. Yeah. From a standpoint from the fans, yeah, it's perfect. But from what I just said, maybe he would want to change his mind a little bit from a player's perspective. But I can understand where he's coming from. Um, Too early to me is like that fourth week, fifth week. I think they started at the fifth week. I I think that might be what it is. I'm not 100% sure. But, um, you know, if you get it the fifth week – Man, I, I'm, I'm, you heard me. I, I can understand where he's coming from, and right in the middle, it makes sense, right? But you mm-hmm. also have training camp, you have preseason games, you have all this other stuff you got to worry about. We have a couple of people here actually posting predictions as to wins and losses and uh, what they're going to do opening day against the Steelers. We're going to pass on those. Uh, You and I both uh, don't see much sense in having that type of discussion. We do have uh, somebody mentioning how at NFL Draft Scout has given his preseason power rankings and has the Giants at number 32. And uh, this I bleed blue 56 says uh, he doesn't understand how the Giants could be 32 or 31 for that matter. Uh, He's got the Bears at 31, the Giants at 32. Again, power rankings, one loss predictions, not something that we're really going to chew on. But I just throw it out there only to say that apparently there are enough of people who really care about these things uh, that they insist on tweeting about them. Uh, We have here. Uh, Can I Chris, tell you something about power yes. rankings real quick? Sure. The only good about power rankings are that coaches like to use them to show the players and get them riled up. Did That's Tom the- really use them with you guys? Yes, 100%. He See, loved now it. he always told us he never uh, paid no, attention to no, the no, media. But, but, but <laughs> what he, he used them to, to, to motivate us because he would say, oh, let's, let's see what the fun to say about us today. Oh, look at this, guys. Can you see him saying this? Look at this. So they have us at uh, number 23. So how does that make you feel? How does that make you feel? We go from, ooh, boy, we went from 26 to 23 this week because we beat this team. Well, we'll see where we're at next week. You know, so he just uses it like that. Um, and I remember one year we just climbed up that. We just climbed the ladder. Just kept climbing the ladder. And that's what Tom would say. He'd be like, oh, look, guys, we're going to climb the ladder this week because, you know, these guys know more than we do. And they have us ranked at 23, but they got us ranked at 19 this week. That's good. Good job, guys. Let's just keep going. Keep going. <laughs> you know, that's all they're good for. That's okay. all they're good for. Okay. Add Script Demon says it will be a great season for the Giants because I believe the team has the identity of a hard-nosed, smart, and winning line of scrimmage. Uh, it will be a welcome change. We will see the beginning of a true contending team. Well, I think based on what we've heard so far from Joe Judge, those are very deep, deep-seated characteristics of what he's trying to get on this roster. 100%. And he's, work, he's building the team that he wants. Uh, we've talked about all the characteristics, all the items that we have heard him say. He's coming through with them. The only thing that worries me at this juncture, Paul, is this virtual learning and not the on-field stuff. And when you have a young roster and, and implementing a new system, both offense-defensively, um, and special special teams will stay pretty much the same, but you're, you're lacking that type of you know what I'm saying. You're, you're getting it all you can on TV, but you know you still this is football. These guys are they need to get on the field. They need to practice. They need to get reps. And um, right now they're missing a lot of this stuff. Mike Roz fifty six writes all this talk about a tough schedule, which I think it is since opponents were revealed. But now every strength of schedule article I see has the Giants' difficulty in the bottom third of the league. Seventh easiest, according to CBS. And what are your thoughts on this? Well, let me just take this first, Jeff. I know what you're going to say. Strength of schedule (laughs) is a mathematical computation based on last year's winning percentages. Well, guess what? Uh, The rosters don't stay the same year to year. Not only do they change, they change a lot. Uh, and, oh, by the way, coaching staffs change a lot, too. So, quite frankly, I could care less what the strength of schedule says. A lot of these things we're talking about are just 
you know, they're items that people like to hear and write about and research and, you know, all, all these kind of stuff. But the, these things are, I don't believe in them. Strength of schedule. It's just, it's just, it's a matter of putting these things on paper and trying to get some a semblance of, you know, who's going to play who and how tough of a matchup it's going to be. But, you know, if, if, if you're going against two teams that have have new head coaches and new coaching staffs and have made tons of changes on both sides of the football, I mean, what does it matter? It's not going to matter, right? The, the, the teams are different. So it doesn't really matter. Well, you're going to like this one. At I like Eli, them all. At Eli Manning HOF. Nice. Reporters predicting the Giants' record this year now must have run out of family and food photos and sports history nuggets to tweet about. I like it. Standing ovation. Yeah. 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 I like it. Family photos, food. What's he say? Food nuggets. What? <laughs> family and food photos and sports history nuggets. Yeah. It's about right, right? I mean, we're running out of things to do. Would you like barbecue sauce with that? Yeah. How about some ranch <laughs> dressing, please? <laughs> uh, we have Jorge uh, underscore Alisea 621. It uh, says, uh, seeing Eli telling jokes and David Wright uh, make this video better. Let's hope the season starts on time. Let's go, Giants. He's referring to the Giants production staff, which put together a video of numerous giant stars and other people, including some super fans, as they did the giant schedule reveal. That is on the Giants.com website. It's fun. Eli Manning is part of it. Victor Cruz is part of it. Justin Tuck is part of it. Michael Strahan's also involved in it. Uh, Andrew Jones, obviously, uh, as well. I think the one that, that most people kind of got a good kick out of, oh, by the way, David Wright, uh, the Mets' uh, third baseman, former third baseman, is also part of it. They crossed some sports. Uh, Phil Sims is in there. The one where uh, Eli Manning gets to reveal the week that the Giants have a bye, and he says, now I'm on a permanent bye week. <laughs> That's that's he. He's witty. Yep, he's good. <laughs> so kudos to the Giants production staff for for putting together a, a very fun video uh, for the schedule reveal. Uh, we have Lear in BK says it's about time we don't play the cow bums first. <laughs> Let's get it. Hope there is a season. And uh, just happy that the Giants are are not playing uh, the Cowboys. Well, they're playing them last. <laughs> Instead of being first, they're playing them last now. There you go. Well, that is true. Uh, at Doction Met says, uh, I'm so tired of playing the Cowboys on week one. Anyone other than the boys, uh, that's all I really care about playing. Just having a different opponent would be nice for a change. It really is. It's kind of strange. What I was thinking about this last night when I saw it, I didn't know how to react to it. I was like, hmm, okay, Pittsburgh? Yeah, this just doesn't sound right, but it's going to happen. Well, you think it's going to happen, but the fact is um, it's close. That's a good one. Um, and, you know, there. that's uh, the problem with this game, I can tell you right now. Mm-hmm. What am I thinking? It's Pittsburgh. It's at, it's at home. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a lot of Steeler fans at that game. I'm telling you. There's a lot of Steeler fans. They travel well. If they close. are allowed. If they are allowed. That's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking on nothing's going to happen. Okay. You know? So. Uh, if not, then they can sit home and watch it on TV like everybody else. Jeff, it's easy for the media and the fans to care about, you know, the repetitive opponent at home to open week one. But do the players really care? No, because you know what? There was, there's a lot of guys on that team that haven't played the Dallas, Dallas Cowboys. Exactly. <laughs> so is it really a big deal? Well, I think it – let me ask you a question. If it was Dallas, would it be on the road again? <laughs> you know, that, that's the one that gets me. Right. I mean, if I'm going to play the Cowboys and I want to play them at home first, if if I have, you know, if they're going to put me against them, don't put the Giants on the road constantly at Dallas. Tough place to play, first game of the season on the road. It's not a it's not an easy chore for any team to go on the road the first week. It's just not. Well, let me ask you this. Do you have a preference for how you end the season as a player? Home. I I okay, now I love I love, from a football perspective, if I'm the head coach, I love to have the final game of the regular season at home, number one, and I love what the NFL started doing several years ago by making it a division game. Yeah. 
That I'm, I'm very big on. Well, look at the Giants' schedule, okay? One, two, three, four, five. The last six games, there's only one division game in there. Check it out. Mm-hmm. Cincinnati, Seattle, Arizona, Cleveland, Baltimore, then Dallas. So from November 29th to the end, to January 3rd is one division game for the for the Giants and that's the Cowboys at the end of the at the end of the season. Yes. I don't know what this <laughs> I'm I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it but you know if this schedule stands <laughs> that doesn't seem right. Does that make sense? Well, I think I think it's very interesting that in the middle of the Giants schedule that has been released there is a span of five out of six games against divisional foes. And I just wonder from a player's perspective, and you know how Tom Coughlin always pushed you guys, especially emotionally and mentally, to be able to try to get up for each and every game at your max. I, I kind of believe that from a mental and emotional perspective, it is virtually impossible to play that many divisional games in such a compact schedule or, or calendar that you can be up for all of them without it being a significant drain on your oh, team. Yeah, no wonder now I look at this, no wonder they gave the, the, the bye week at week 11. <laughs> well, they kind of had to because I mean, it was look, after yeah. that stretch of five yeah. out of six against yeah, and, the NFC East. And by the way, throw in Tampa Bay, who's going to be a pretty good team this year with Tom Brady. That's a tough road right there. Really tough road. I mean, you know, even though every game is only one, we all know how players and coaches always view the divisional games as two. Mm -hmm. And therefore, no matter what you say about the one-loss record, those games mentally and emotionally make you pay a higher price. There is a higher cost to go through those games, especially when they are compressed into your schedule, than if they're spread out. And so... In that regard, I think that, you know, the five out of six stretch, according to the schedule that was released, is a very, very difficult run for the Giants and could really set them set them up for, for mental and emotional fatigue as they get into December. It also sets up any team in that division a tough road because, um, you know, you look at – especially the Giants, right? That's a lot of division games. If they happen to lose – a lot of those, I mean, maybe half, you know, you don't have any way to make up any ground towards the end of the season other than hoping that those other teams lose, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a tough, that's a, that's a tough thing to understand. Well, you sure. Know? If you're trying to climb uphill, you're not going to get a whole lot of ground you're made not. up when you're not playing in the division. That's right. And you've got only your scoreboard the, watching every week. That's hundred percent. That's exactly what I'm saying. And you got that Dallas game at the end that may not mean anything now. Um, I don't like this. I don't like this at all. In fact, that's a tough stretch um, mentally, physically, like you said. And then at the end of the season, I'm not playing any of my division games where I can make any ground. I don't like it. I don't like it. Throw it away. Go to the next schedule. Mark in Chicago says Eagles on Thursday night football again in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. Says uh, it's difficult because, in his opinion, those are difficult uh, games with rough officiating says uh, they're afraid to make calls for fear of their lives by by the fans in Philadelphia. <laughs> well, uh, this is what I will say. Yes, primetime games in Philly are usually very, very difficult to navigate because the raucous crowd is just off the charts. And, of course, as you and I both know, Jeff, for the last decade, it has just been a nightmarish place to play for the Giants. Yeah, it certainly has. I have one since, I don't know when. Um, the only good thing about that, and I mean only good thing about it, two things. The the bad thing is that it's Thursday night and it's in Philly. Um, the only good thing that comes out of it, it's close. You can go, you can get there and back, you know, with, not have to get on a plane. Uh, that's a good thing. And you have 10 days off. That's, mm-hmm. those are, that's it. That's it. And you got 10 days to prepare for Tampa Bay. So there you go. Take the positive. The glass is half full. Okay, Duffy P twelve fourteen says, "I'll say this," and he's referring to the Browns Giants game uh, listed as December twentieth. I'll be as happy as heck for us to be in a position for the NFL to flex us into a prime time slot that late in the season. Glass half full. There you go. I just called. That. I didn't even see it. <laughs> <laughs> that 
pretty cool. Well, you know, I mean, hey, look, I I, I certainly believe that if— That's a good point. Well, he does, because if circumstances warrant, and, you know, Dak Prescott is not reporting right now to the Dallas Cowboys, Mm -hmm. and that would mean that uh, Andy Dalton is their starting quarterback, and who knows what the Dallas Cowboys will look like at that point in the year. Maybe, just maybe, they will not be contenders— and uh, NBC will decide that the Beckham matchup is too attractive to pass up. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Long, 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 long ways away. All right. I give you one more before we get out of here. At MC, I uh, guess. Oh. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. It's definitely time to end this show today. At, <laughs> at MC underscore Moon T says, I'd like to have a season where there are no interconference games. Hmm. That's interesting. Why not? I don't know. He doesn't give a reason. I mean, I would, look, I remember the old AFL and NFL, and when they merged in 1970 and became the AFC and the NFC. And, you know, I mean, you know, the Colts had to run over there. The Steelers had to run over there. The Browns had to run over there to the AFC side. They had to create some balance within the conferences. And so you had to have NFL teams migrate over to the AFC side, which, of course, was the former AFL side. Uh, but I, why no I, I don't know. I mean, even Major League Baseball cross-pollinates now between the American League and the National League. Why would you not want that? I don't know. I, I just think it's an opportunity for the fans to be able to see a team that they normally don't aren't able to. I think it's I think it's a great idea. Um, I don't know. Maybe he can he can tweet back and let us know his his uh, why. Oh, you know what? I've got one more here. I have to do. I'm sorry, Jeff. I'm going to extend you just a minute. I hope you don't have a brunch to get to. At <laughs> no, no, James C Hill 14 has two items that I think are, are pretty cool. So I'm going to let you answer these, and then we will move on and let everybody get to the weekend. He says, do you see the Giants having enough sacks uh, moving forward this year? He's expecting maybe Fackrell to get 10, the D-line interior to get 7. He mentions Golden, but Golden's not signed, so I'm going to cut him out of the equation. He says 5 to 8 sacks from the safeties, maybe 3 to 7 from the defensive ends, the linebackers, and the corners who are all unproven. Basically, how many sacks do you see from this roster? Well, well last it, year the Giants had what thirty six. I was going to say thirty. I thought it was thirty five. Was it thirty? Yeah, roughly. Mm-hmm, Mid thirties. All right. Now Golden is gone. So Fackrell is the pseudo Golden this year, a guy who has had ten before, but not recently. And aside from him, there's not another proven double digit NFL sack guy on the team. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna put all my eggs in. Patrick Graham's basket, and I, I have and I have a feeling he's going to come up with a way because he's being asked to come up with a way to get after the passer and get some sacks. So I think you'll see more out of the back seven than he's than he than than to give him credit for. So I'm I I don't know if throw a number out there. I think it'll how about this? I think it'll be more than they had last year there. I'd be willing to say realistically, I don't think forty is out of reach. Because I think that these linebackers will get more than they had last year. Improvement out of X-Man and out of Carter. Uh, I also would like to believe that Leonard Williams, uh, given the way that Patrick Graham is going to change things up defensively. I, I Look, he gets close enough that I think he'll get some. Remember, he did have nine for the Jets at one point in his career. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like he can't get there. So I do think he'll get some. I think you'll get a couple, two or three, maybe from uh, not. I'm just saying from the safety position, Jabril Peppers. Okay. Well, uh, and McKinney. don't forget McKinney. Yeah, I'm saying. so both Peppers guys, and McKinney can both uh, pressure the quarterback. No question. So, and they're both big play guys. So they might, you know, they might surprise you, which bumps up that number a little bit. So, um, I feel like, yeah, and you know, listen, I I think that Williams is, you know, he's playing for a contract, so he'd like to get those nine sacks again. He'd like to get those and make some money. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Uh, and anyway, James C. Hill 14 did have one other tweet, which I thought was a pretty good one, so I will uh, I will let you finish out with this one. He says, would you rather Solder and Thomas uh, start and you get 11 wins and a playoff appearance and Parrott doesn't play a snap 
and then next year the Giants win seven to nine victories when he comes into the lineup? Or would you rather Thomas and Parrott play this year? You win eight games, have a slim playoff opportunity, but next year, because both of them are second-year players, the Giants win 13 games and become a playoff team. He says, keep up the great job and go Giants. So I I did already message him back on Twitter. He's forgetting about uh, Fleming as part of this equation because right now, in terms of the 2020 year, uh, Cameron Fleming is one of the Giants' top three offensive tackles, and it's been stated by Gettleman and Judge that Thomas, Solder, and Fleming will compete for two spots. So I think he's bypassing him in this equation. But I do understand his point about do you want to push the youth along quicker so that they can mature together quicker and thereby gain some of that long-term benefit quicker. I don't necessarily think the Giants will go that way, but it's an interesting thing to contemplate. Yeah, it's a lot of different scenarios. I, I think that it all comes down to, uh, you know, obviously who play, who plays better. Um, but if you want my opinion, and I, I would, I would, I would take, I would take the Solder, and and I would take the two. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> I would take Thomas and Solder playing this year. I want Thomas to play. He's got to play. He will play. Um, they're paying a lot of money for Solder. They, they're not going to cut him, so you want to get your money's worth out of him and then uh, see what happens next year. I'm not going to look into next year when we don't even know if we'll have this year. Right, and I understand that. And I think that, you know, Fleming was brought in as a guy who, A, compete. could be an insurance policy, yep. but, B, compete, and if, if the, the draft choice, whoever that turned out to be, and it wound up being Andrew Thomas, if for whatever reason he's not ready to go week one, well, Fleming starts until such time that you want to make the tradeoff. And that's okay. I, I, I think that Cam Fleming is your is your surefire. He's your placeholder, if nothing else. Hundred percent. He can he can start, or if he doesn't start, you feel really good about yourself that you have that swing tackle that can that has experience in the league, that understands an offense. He's been in that offense before. He's been around this coach before. He understands it. So. I think that that's a big. I think that's a big plus. And I think that's why they got him. In a lot of ways, he's he's like what Sean Locklear was when the Giants brought him in from Seattle. And look what happened to him. He played very well. He and really he ended did. Up getting cur- didn't he end up getting hurt, and that was that stunk because he really did play well. He really did. Unfortunately, you know, he cost him his career. He got hurt and never played again. Exactly. Well, that'll do it for today's edition you, of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Again, uh, always try to hit us up either through the Giants mailbag at Giants.com or go to Twitter, hashtag Giants chat, or he is at Jay Fiegels. I am at Giants WFAN. Uh, Jeff, enjoy the weekend. And too, uh, we will do this all again next week on Big Blue Kickoff Live. For Jeff Fiegels, I'm Paul Tatino. So long, everybody.